The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. Growing up, today's guest observed that the only mouldy thing in his house was the people. And seeing the lack of representation of culture, ideas, and stories around all of us, he set about building a career and movement to make spaces, environments, toys, and work more mouldy. As an academic, Dr. Johnson Witehera has had a focus on decolonizing the teaching of art and design. And as an artist, designer, and business leader, he's worked with large partners like Auckland Airport, TBNZ, or Waka Kotahi, and also councils to create work that is sometimes bold and expressive, sometimes subtle and quiet, but always working to bring culture and worldview to a country too long stripped of that voice. Witehera is a co-founder at Indigenous Design and Innovation Aotearoa, IDEA, and at Paku, a company in the High Tech Awards this year, for its innovative approach to making and re-establishing usage of traditional and cool and colourful digging tools for kids. Johnson joins us now to chat his journey so far, using business as a vehicle for art and culture. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Yoda, it's awesome to be here. Hey, so... What first sparked your interest in design art and storytelling? You know, in high school, I was always really interested in art. I was always in the art rooms. You know, I was one of those guys who that's where you'd you'd find me. Um, And then around design, like towards the end of high school, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. Went to an open day at a design school and I was like, wow, this is cool. And the thing that I think that got me going was design school had – Two things I was really interested in, which was art and technology. You know, it was those two things kind of combined. I was interested in game design then, but that wasn't even a thing in the curriculum. So I ended up going to, to graphic design school um, and spending time there. Um, and that's, you know, that was the start for me. And I just became enamored with, with everything I started to learn there. Yeah. And design and art are such kind of twins, hey, in, yes. in that their visual yep. communication. Um, what led you more into the design world at the start? I think in a funny way, I say to people, I wanted to get paid before I died. <laughs> Basically seeing this legacy of famous yeah. artists, um, it's probably a bit better now. Um, so yeah, there was a, um, a commerce aspect to it and I thought, you know, I could, I could, I could get paid. And one of the things I thought is I can learn how to do design. I still love art. But maybe if I learn how to, to use these design tools, I can create art using those a little bit later. And, and maybe if it's or two with that later on in my career. And that's basically what I ended up doing. And, and then I ended up spending probably a bit too much time in art. And now I'm kind of sitting in the maybe in between a bit more now. Yeah. And like there's kind of an idea that art used to be this universal language of communication. And now, you know, lots of sectors of art have become quite hard to kind of, you know, get into unless you've yes. done a lot of a lot of the pre-reading. Yeah, Well, yeah. design is the universal <laughs> language of communication now. Yeah, I feel like it is, you know. It, it's such a um, 
part of our daily lives that we don't even notice it around us. You know, from the chairs we're sitting on to the to- you know the toothbrush that you use to watching TV when you get home at night. Everything in our lives has had a human hand um, or someone on a computer anyway create that thing. Mm. You know, design is just a part of life. You know, and I'm interested in how we can kind of push and pull that a little bit and then bring more of, you know, Māoriness, particularly in Aotearoa, into our design and life. Yeah, let's chat about that because like you say, everything has been designed and even if you don't notice it, it has a worldview, you know, or there is a context to it, right? And, you know, it's so, so, yeah, tell us about that idea of like ensuring that more of the things around us, especially in Aotearoa, do have that Māori worldview. I remember when I was doing my master's and I started really um, doing real history into our, our history of visual culture and you look at all these old anthropological kind of documentations, all these paintings, right, of Māori life in the in the what, late 1800s, early 1800s. And what you see is um, homes, vehicles, clothes, tools, everything designed by us. You know, it, everything with it. And, and what that says to me is all those little things in our world, they said something back to us about who we, who we are. Now in this kind of modern world we live in, you know, if I look around this room that we're sitting in and the room that most people listening are sitting in, if, if they look, if you look around in your room and you can see anything Māori, I would be amazed. Mm. And my kind of thought was it's like being Māori now living, I guess, in a lot of New Zealand, it's like being plucked out of your, your culture and then dropped into another country and you look around and go, where are all our things? Where are, where's my, these aren't my clothes. Yeah. These, aren't, these aren't our tools. So I'm really interested in how we, how we change that and not necessarily Māori-fy things either. I, for me, a big part of this, it's, it's a bicultural kind of approach. You know, I, I look at it through this kind of lens of, okay, you know, we've got Pākehā tūpuna, we've got Māori tūpuna. When they came together, things didn't necessarily turn out the way that, that we wanted them to. But now's our chance to do that, and it's really exciting. You know, this is kind of open world for us to kind of, I think, design the Aotearoa that we want our kids to live in, our Māori and our Pākehā kids to live in, you know? What were some of the projects on the way as you started to kind of really dig into that idea? Like, what, what were some of the kind of breakthrough projects for you, being able yeah. to bring that Māori view to, you know, spaces that might have you know, had no view or because it's got no view, there's actually a view and it's exclusion. Yeah, I, th- I think some of the first ones for me were where I got involved in architectural projects. You know, I was invited to um, to participate as a Māori designer to, um, to support different hapū and iwi Māori. And for me, again, the, the, those physical spaces is a really cool way to, to put, to embed ourselves into the physical spaces that we kind of have to occupy daily. Um, and, and it might be, you know, one was Auckland International Airport. That was a pretty cool co-papa and being able to integrate uh, Māori stories throughout that journey and in particular the stories of, of mana whenua from around there. But I find public art is kind of a useful way to do that too. You know, um, we, we can decide what art we want to put on our walls, but deciding what goes on the streets is a whole different thing. You know, so I really like being able to put things that are very Māori out into public spaces um, as well. And there's, there's certain challenges that comes with that as well. You know, there's in your home, no one's going to turn up and graffiti your Māori artwork, you know, or your or your artwork's telling a story. But when they're out on the streets, there are other considerations around um, how you protect it. Um, some of these artworks are that on Courtney Place. If you've been to Courtney Place, mm. it's very different on a Wednesday at lunchtime to a Sunday morning at 3 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah there's kind of tricky considerations that, that come into play. 
Yeah, and I imagine that when you are also, especially in some of that public works, um, public spaces, uh, partnership with councils, you know, putting new ideas into places where they they haven't been, but they should have been. Like, does that make it very pointed on you at the front of like projects like that as well with people's, um, you know, regressive or, or, or hopefully dying out kind of pushback on those things? Yeah, it, it does a little bit. You know, it depends, I guess, on the council and and, and what the art seems are like normally. Um, but I guess one thing for me with lots of those projects, with a lot of my projects, um, particularly public art ones, is I'm often working with a, a mana whenua group that I'm not part of, you know, and so I, I'm just there to help contribute as an artist or as a designer. And, and I think that's different in some ways to, to being a Pākehā artist creating artworks you know, like a, like a public artwork created by a well-known party artist, it could be dropped anywhere in Aotearoa and there isn't doesn't really need to be often much of a conversation with the community because it's like, ah, oh, it's this revered artist, they make this type of art all the time and we're getting one of their sculptures here. Whereas if I'm working with a mana whenua, it's like these are their stories that I have to care for and share in a really appropriate way and ultimately if they're not happy with it, it doesn't matter how cool I think it looks you know, it's, they're the ones um, who give it any kind of legitimacy. So there's kind of a, a different approach to it and a different way that the, the works are validated as well. Yeah, and so many kind of elements in there <laughs> <laughs> to navigate because like oftentimes as well, like, you know, in that example of like a, you know, revered, um, you, you know, maybe Pākehā artist with like a style, then it's just, here's the style, let's dump the style down. Yes, the, yeah. But you can't go in there with like a pre-decided style or, med- you know, no. the way it's going to come out. No, hey? no ex- exactly. I've got a, you know, like a, a lot of our art, you know, in back in the day, Māori was community driven, you know, and I'm sure that artists still had a lot of say over what was happening. But again, you know, if, if you're creating artworks for, you know, Farina was a really good example, that's going to represent your hapu and your iwi, um, then there's going to be a lot of cons- consultation that goes into that sort of process yeah. from the very start. So, and you know, one of the things I like, you know, sometimes it is hard working in that space and that's where I've got this kind of art project side of me where I do things that aren't, uh, where it's just me yeah. and, and I can have a little <laughs> bit more fun and, and have a bit of a tattoo and make a mess and not be as beholden to to those things, mm. which which I don't mind, you know. Like I think that's just part of being a Māori artist. But sometimes you just want to have fun and have a play as well. Yeah, yeah, no, to be able to yeah be your own be your own client and yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> be your own partner. That's right. And um, often the fun projects for me are those ones, mm. you know, like Māori tape typeface stuff the Māori kind of gardening tools, those are just, it's the self-generated projects that I get the real joy mm. out of where the only client is is myself or the client with the tools are my kids. Yes. You know, I decided, my friends and I, we decided to design those those Māori gardening tools because we saw our kids uh, in sandpits and and we knew that there were Māori tools, well, there's lots of Māori um, agricultural tools and things. We thought, we want our kids to have these. Let's go and kind of have a crack at making some of our own. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about um, pakpaku as a as a concept. Is that such a cool thing? As um, you know, in that idea that there aren't items designed in the world, you know, um, that is so cool that it goes right yeah. down to like the implements in the sand pit at the Kohangareo. And and yeah. tell me about that, that 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 kind of like light bulb moment for you. Yeah, Liz, it was funny. Like at the time, my friend Jamie, who I made them with, Jamie Pryor, he he was the lead um, design engineer at Formway. You know who who designed all these amazing chairs, um, and he's designed all kinds of things. But I got invited into Formway to talk about, um, I guess, bicultural approaches design. 
and, and maybe how they might think about it. And during that kōrero, I, I mentioned my son on the sandpit, and I said, wouldn't it be cool, you know, if, if, we, if our kids had these tools? And three months later, Jamie showed up at my house with some prototypes. And I was like, okay, so we're doing this. But again, it's, sometimes you need that partner to kind of drive you. And even with this project, I am not a um, product designer. I'm not a product engineer. Um, and at the same time, you know, I guess Jamie doesn't have, you know, this mātauranya around tui Māori. And I guess the other thing is you need networks to kind of test these ideas with. So I think we kind of made the perfect combination and we couldn't do the project without each other. You know, and I think that's one of the special things about it is, you know, really it is a real mashup of, of Māori and Pākehā ideas and technology and people mm. coming together to make something for for both of our, our families. Yeah, and a real community thing. Like, you know, the fact that you could jump out and share that story and then have so much support and kind of a Kickstarter approach and, yeah. you know, everyone going like, yeah, this is an awesome thing to bring oh, into the world. We, we were blown away by that. You know, because we, we, we tested early ones with Kohanya, you know, we, and we shared them around. And then we took them to, um, to Māori academics to get their kind of whakaaro because we, we wanted to check ourselves and make sure, you know, before you design anything, do Māori want this? You know, do we see it as being valuable? So we took it to our communities and we thought, okay, we, we, we're getting the tick here. Let's do a Kickstarter. And that ended up getting around about $55,000 to support it. And that's where we thought, okay, this is a good idea. Like, people think that this is a really useful and a really cool thing to do. One thing I love about that project, because if you just hear, oh, these are traditional um, implements and, you know, they're for digging things, you know, you might go and think it's going to feel and look uh, traditional or not part of popular or current culture or the future, you know, like yeah. like something you find in a museum, right? Yes, yes. But instead, tell me about the way that you made them. You know, you know, like like it's not it's not a throwback. It's like yeah. it's like tomorrow. I'm glad you brought that up because the the first prototypes that we had, they did look very um, closely aligned with those early Toki and Timor. You know, these adzers and Māori gardening tools and. And I put the, the challenge back to Jamie. I said, well, if, if we're making these tools, they shouldn't look like plastic versions of our things that are in the museums. You know, we need to push it a bit further. And we also had this idea, you know, our tūpuna always took up the latest technologies. I like, this is useful, we'll use this. And knowing, you know, the amazing skills that Jamie has as a product engineer, I was like, well, how do we use the latest product engineering skills? Uh, and how do we combine that with our mātauranga Māori to create something that feels very Māori and feels very contemporary? very new and I think we kind of accidentally kind of nailed it or it's just you know the right people I think working on the right project you know we got the, yeah. to get this result and so they're, they're like colourful and like they feel like a real sense of energy and they kind of feel poised for movement or something and um, also the way they're made you know like really cutting edge techniques like you say like you know the latest technologies yeah they're you know we we 3d um printed the initial ones and then they're injection molded and they're tested i guess using you know the really stringent and hardcore testing um requirements that that jamie might do for like building the best chairs in the world mm. you know so even though they appear like children's toys you could drive over these things probably and they'd be fine yeah and using like digital tools as well whether it's like you know, b b billboards for media or, um, you know, the video game. So Māori yeah, Land, like yeah. that's, that's such a cool thing. And and and, and having kind of like, I guess, a, I, I really love the way in some of those projects, part of your choice of tools is a commentary itself. Yes, and, um, and the video game was very deliberate. 
you know, thinking about to to what I was really interested at a young age, it was comics, it was video games, it was probably a lot of pop culture and movies and stuff. So I decided with that artwork, I, you know, I want to I want to use these tools, and it, it, it bothered me when I made it, and people kept going, "Oh, oh yeah, I saw your your video game, you made it," and I just said, "No, it's an artwork," and I just used kind of video game tools. So I I kept trying to go, "It's a playable artwork, it's a playable artwork," because sometimes you know, like video game doesn't carry the same kind of power as an artwork, or you know what I mean? It's kind mm-hmm. of a weird thing. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm going to use these tools so that people engage with it differently and um and in the gallery they did it was it was really funny seeing um older people younger people whoever coming up picking up the controllers and engaging with you know uh, it was a way that they were familiar with doing something but got them into interesting conversations and ideas once they kind of played with it yeah Yeah. it felt to me like um in the same world as like um lisa rehana's transit of venus work you know side scroll sharing these things questioning the yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. like really really cool yeah and and i remember there's this funny thing where i um you know someone had come into the gallery we had an object space um and they had a little talk afterwards and she came back to the talk um this wahine maori this this older woman and she'd said you know I, i wouldn't want my my kids playing this or my grandchildren playing this artwork there was one where um I think they they club seals. You know, you're playing this this kind of proto Maori. I called them arriving in Aotearoa in one version. And it gets off the waka and starts clubbing these seals and birds to death, and you got to kind of play through it. But the killing isn't arbitrary. Like the character's life bar is actually going down. So you're you're killing to survive. And I think her lens was, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit brutal, and and we didn't do this. But you know, in, in Michael King's history of Aotearoa, there's there's entire seal colonies that were wiped out. You know, there's, there's all these sorts of things where I don't think we were necessarily kaitiaki and though when we arrived, but our experience and our own kind of not managing some of our resources better ended up turning into those sorts of kaitiaki. Um, but I, another thing I said is, you've got to worry, but worry about your kids playing Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about them playing this, this artwork where they hit a few, few seals and things, you know. And, yeah. and also I was like, well, this is a gallery. You, you'd have the right not to choose to bring them. That's totally up to you. Yeah. You know? and, and like, you know, that kind of purposefully pulling things up to be talked about, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because that other one, you know, there were there were two artworks, and on the other one, you know, you play as a missionary, mm. and um, you know, your character. I'll try and paint a picture for those listening. It's it's like playing Mario Brothers, but you're you're a missionary instead of Mario, and you throw Bibles at the at the Maori enemies throughout, and they become <laughs> docile and, yeah. and colonized. And, <laughs> got a zombie before, oh, eh? <laughs> and 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 some Maori I, I talked to afterwards, and they're like, oh, I feel really perplexed after playing that game because. It was fun, but I was colonizing myself, you know, and they were, so they were and again, I liked it. I feel like by making it playable in a video game form, I must trick people into the art, you know, trick them into engaging with some kind of complex ideas because, you know, it's a really oversimplified way of our engagement with Christianity, you know, throwing these Bibles in. That's not really what happened, but it got them thinking about kind of these things around no, Christianity. There's, there's also a lot of, like, property speculation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, like, in, in artwork, like, you know, that's a really clear space where, you know, as the artist you have the um, the, the, the the sovereignty to, like, choose and set what the terms are but in business it's not always the way and how important is it like you know the way that you've set up um you you know your 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 world with indigenous design and innovation out there your your company like to set it up to be 
a co-founder and owner, a decision maker, and kind of choose work on the terms that have to be, you, you know, the yes. best way to engage. Oh, it's, it's such a different place, you know. Um, well, the idea, I was really lucky that, you know, I set, I set up with my good friends, John Moore and Miriam Barbridge, and they had, you know, I'd been doing my own individual design projects and teaching design at tertiary level. They had ran their own digital strategy agency um, for about 12 years in Wellington and, and built lots of amazing things. And they'd done, Miriam's Māori, and they'd done a few kind of Māori things throughout their mahi, but kind of covertly. And end of 2017, we came together and we were like, let's do something cool together. And that's kind of where idea was born. Um, and I feel lucky in a way that they'd done so much groundwork and had so many connections in the government and business space. And then I was able to bring some of the toy Māori and te ao Māori stuff to that. But yeah, it was a real, I would say, more of a shock to my system than to theirs. And, and for me to learn about how to work with these clients, how to work with government, um, how we talk about, I guess, our goals as a, as a Māori design agency and how we talk to the clients around things like, you might pay the bill, but this is our client over here. You know, for us, it's often, you know, government, um, whatever agency will bring a project to us saying, you know, we're trying to create this for Māori. And when conversations get hard, or we're trying to do things that we think will work for them. We've got to say to them, you pay the check, but our client are these, you know, Māori who you're trying to create this thing for. It's a bit of a shift. Yeah, and setting those relationships up so that people understand yeah, like they can't control all the outcomes and stuff. It's such a radical thing in uh, like a yeah. design space. Like it's such an interesting concept that from my observations, all the best projects are when there's not a control over the outcomes. Yes, and we can't control and those outcomes either. Yeah. That, that's the interesting thing, you know, and and we're surprised too, you know, when we go to our communities with some of these these design problems or with whatever problems and we and we get them to kind of respond and get their facado and often it's like, oh, so we've brought you this thing, government's going, and as an example, government's going, we, we see this problem, um, we think if we give Māori more information on this, then it will help solve that problem. And we go to them, often we go to them and we find out, no, no, they know about that. They don't need more information, but they're making certain choices because of the world that they live in, and we need to understand the kind of choices they're making and why, and figure out how to help around that, instead of trying to, trying to fix something when giving more information won't solve the problem. You've got to kind of find out, okay, well, what what is the real challenge here, you know? Uh, and we'll be back in a moment with Dr. Johnson Wetehira to talk about building the business and making cultural change through design. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step -step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns.
Okimai Ano, and welcome back. Uh, we're with Dr. Johnson Witehera. So, how did you go about building idea from that kind of first joining together uh, with, with with the friends yeah, into yeah. an agency that was able to work on you know really significant projects and yeah. with like longer time scales and bigger ambitions than your average kind of like design project, which is so important, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was funny. I think you know after. It was, I think it was December 2017, we came together, had to talk about it. And then maybe two, month, two months later, I saw John and Midium, and, and Midium had mentioned it to a few people, and apparently there was work. There was work already, people wanting to work with this, this Māori design agency that hadn't even formed, yeah. hasn't, <laughs> hadn't become a legal entity or anything yet. But at that point, we knew, okay, we're, we're kind of on to something. Um, we, you know, again, John and Miriam had a lot of really useful um, connections through work they'd done with government for 12 years and on building all kinds of big projects. And I, I don't know if it was, again, right place, right time, but at, but around then it seemed that government were really searching for um, Māori research and Māori design and Māori agencies who could kind of do those sorts of elements and, and I guess give the work a little bit more integrity or we'll give it more of a te ao Māori lens, you know, because in the past all you could do essentially was go and work with, you know, a, a Pākehā design agency who may or may not have had a cultural advisor, definitely wouldn't have had any Māori designers. So from the very start, you know, we kind of stood out, um, even though there was only three of us. And then kind of maybe a year a year in, we um, we started, I, you know, we, we, we got a bigger physical space and we started as an Indigenous co-working space. So we thought there aren't, you know, it, it was still hard to find Māori designers um, and Māori in the kind of, even then in the tech industry. So we thought maybe if we start a co-working space, it's like building your own playground, right? Mm-hmm. Make our own playground, put ourselves in the middle and then invite our other uh, talented creative Māoris to come and play there too. Like build and kickstart a community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we did. We called that our poor poor. Our um, we called it all kinds of things from a from a <laughs> from a co creative tech lab and an indigenous Maori tech lab and all these sorts of things. But basically, it's just a place for for Maori creatives to kind of come together, join forces, kind of share projects, um, and also you know it can be tough. Um, working out there sometimes with the, you know, the the issues around racism and within some of these projects, you know, and, and when I say racism, I just mean you know, things that are processes that you have to undo mm. along, you know, along these journeys. So it was, it's good that we could kind of come together and talk about those things, and I guess help affi and support each other through those projects. Yeah. I saw a really interesting quote you'd written somewhere, and excuse, I'm going to paraphrase it and get it wrong, but the idea that. Imagine how different the world would look like in Aotearoa if the treaty had been kept to, because there would have been so many other elements of perspective and worldview and and you know Maori yeah. excellence across all areas of life. Like, tell me a bit about that because that's such an yeah. interesting thought. Well, I I feel like we're on the way towards that. You know, our, 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 it doesn't matter who's in government. I think politically we keep um, progressing. You know, towards this different type of Aotearoa New Zealand. Where I think, you know, that where where Maori can proudly be Maori and Pākehā can proudly have a have an idea of their identity, which is tied to Maori, and then we can have this kind of biculturalness space, this kind of new version of New Zealand, you know, where where Maori really feel connected to our Fakapapa Matauranga, and where Pākehā I think feel really grounded 
as well about being who they are as New Zealanders. You know, I'm really excited about that and it seems to be getting faster and faster, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's sprigs of hope, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I am, yeah. you know, I think... I think before Jacinda came along, I was I was the the painfully um, optimistic person who's just like my optimism can just smash through any wall, um, and I and I still try and use that, you know, not and not get jaded. <laughs> As you get older, you get a bit more jaded. It's probably just part of being tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, optimistically creating these things um, with rigor, still, you know, having an understanding of our past, colonization, and all the things we want to work on, um, but. I don't think hung up's been the right word, but just you know, moving forward in a in a in a co-papa Māori way that's really positive and growing, as opposed to just simply responding to colonisation. I don't find that for me personally as a um, a useful way to to be creative. Like it doesn't generate a lot of creativity for me. In terms of you know projects that uh, help to make built environments ca- carry that view, like I think a really cool thing that um, in the semi-permanent chat, you talked about the um, Te Ara Wai project. Yes, yeah. Uh, tell us about that. As, um, you know, like in some places it's very bold, but in some places it's very subtle as well. Yeah, um, and I really love that project. It's it's these noise walls. I think there's a, I can't remember how many kilometres of them, um, but on, on State Highway 1, um, close to along where Ellerslie is. And, and what was, I guess in the first instance, what was interesting for me is that you know, from the top of my mind, I, it might have included over nine different local iwi groups as part of the partnership working with Waka Kotahi. So I had to, I had to kind of generate these ideas and stories, Māori stories that would get sign off from this you know this this diverse group of of Māori representation. And what's useful for me in those spaces, particularly in in Tamaki Makoto, is I don't here. You know, my dad's side on Napui and I tu Tioru up, up around Kaikohi and Mum's side Wanganui. So I was almost useful in that I could be this kind of objective sort of designer who sat in the middle of that. And I feel like in a way that because of that, almost because there were so many people in the room that the, you know, the Māori representation were basically like, well, you come up with something and we'll, what's, what's important to all of us collectively is that there's visually something Māori there instead of not there. So I feel like I got a little bit of rain to kind of develop what I was going to put on there. And then I just started at a high level of thinking what's a you know, what's a motorway? You know, it's a place for travelling. So I developed narratives that were connected to the ideas of travel um, through a te ao Māori lens and waterways and things like that, you know, to, to help bring it to life. And that's why they're all blue as well. I think that kind of, you know, Māori art's meant to be red, black and white, you know, but that's only a, that's only a modern invention. That only came through from the 19, late 1920s when Apeana Nyata and others, Augustus Hamilton, they went around and, and saw that these a lot of marae had been painted in these beautiful polychromatic paintings. And they saw that as kind of this um, abandonment of, of Māori-ness and Māori culture. So they went and painted over them, all red, black and white, like so many of these houses, you know, and, and we were using all kinds of interesting colours. Yeah, and like the concept of one style is so yeah. against the idea of expression, right? Like yes, yeah. of different iwi and different like traditions and like yeah. Oh, exactly. And it's interesting because you know there was a revitalization of some of our customary practices, which is really significant and really important. You know, the reason Nyata pushed that is at the time he was looking for carvings 
I think, for one of the, the houses around Waiapu or up around the East Coast, and he couldn't find any carvers. He was looking, 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 and then he found one carver, and I think, and he was like, this is a problem. You know, if our culture, if we don't have any carvers, then, you know, what are we going to do? So it created this rejuvenation, but it also created this kind of weird kickback where this, this tradi- traditionalism kind of steamrolled over all this other interesting stuff that was happening. And I don't think it was until the late 1970s, maybe early 80s, where um, some Māori artists and academics went around to all these whare and stripped off the paint and found all these layers, these multicolour painted po and houses. And we're like, wow, there's all these, look at all this. Yeah. Yeah, and that that does get lost. And if there's like a, you, you know, like the colours in Paku and like the blue on the um, the, the 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 motorway walls, like, and and, and also um, that that spirit of invention kind of gets pulled off if it's just one thing, right? It makes yeah. it feel like it's it's finished. Yeah, like instead of growing. Yeah, exactly. Like Paku's a nice little example with the with those colours. We made them vibrant, but you know, because we we're thinking about tamariki, we didn't. We didn't want to make them primary colours, you know, and you look at a lot of, you know, toys within whatever store, it's, it's yellows, greens, blue, you know, it's, it's those bright primary colours. And we thought, we always do this, you know, and I always do this. What's a Te Ao Māori approach to this? We thought, okay, these these gardening tools, they're, they're associated with the māra, with harvesting and kai, what, you know, what can we draw attention um, to? And we looked at, um, we started to look at Ronga Matane as associated with, with the kumara and the harvest. So all the colours of our tools are based on kumara colours. And it still gave us an interesting, vibrant colour palette, but they weren't just like generic Western, I guess, primary colours for the toys. So someone was like, oh, this is a purple one, or this is kind of a pinky kind of thing. What's, you know, what's the idea behind that? It's just like simply kumara. But the longer story is like, how do we connect the colours back to what the tools are being used for? You know, and um, and my old uh, professor Bob Yanke, who runs or uh, established um, Toyoko Kiapati, the Māori Visual Arts School in Palmerston North, he always talks about how, you know, our art forms were integrated onto uh, all of our functional objects, and they gave them um, more meaning and and more kind of power, and they expressed more ideas. Pattern was used to add further ideas to an object, and I think we can do the same with colour. Like with these, you know, there's this idea behind why they were these the colours that we made them. And that idea of visibility as well um, and vibrancy. And I think, you know, I love the optimism of, um, you know, you're saying as, as an optimist, like, I, you know, like, I feel like there is a lot more now than my growing up and I'm only, you know, 41. My kids' experience is just so much richer. It's just absolutely wild. But then again, it's like Auckland... Tamaki Makoto is the biggest Pacifica and Māori city in the world. And yeah. you could visit here and you could not know that. Like yes. any yeah. other city yep. in the world. Like, yeah. you, you know, like, like why don't we have a pa that is like working that you can go and yeah, see or, or, yeah, yeah. or whatever, like other yeah. moving forward and whatever. Like, like, but like it seems weird that you have to go out of the city to experience that totally. kind of like um, true – you know what? What? What is that experience? Yeah. And I know Nati Fatua or Oraki do heaps of work yep. in the space, yeah. right? This is not not any kind of criticism or anything, but it's like, you know, there's a lot to do yet, right? There is, and I and again, I I just see that as, as opportunity, mm. and I think that makes it exciting, you know. And it's it starts small, uh, you know. It's it's a new library will get developed, and there'll be some Maori integrated into that, and then a new train station, and there's some Maori integrated into that. Um, and the airport is doing a few things. So I think 
as 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 more and more of these little projects come together, eventually we we probably won't even notice it. You know, it'll because it'll it seems to happen slowly to us. But I know for people who come back to New Zealand after living away, even four or five years, they come back and are like, whoa, it's changed. Like I can see these Māori murals and I can see Māori art integrated in the bus stop and all these sorts of things. And I think it's eventually it's going to be everywhere, you know, and it's going to be really beautiful. Yeah, and the you know the 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 signs are improve, improving very slowly. But even with yeah, like road signs, right? Like people yep. kicking up a fuss about that. It's like I bet when you go to Wales, you don't complain that there's or, or I can't well, I can't read it. It's like oh, why don't they write it in English and in this country? Yeah, it's like there's like multilingual signs all around the world. Yeah. It's part of and like it's so bleak when it's like what pl- makes a space a place unique in the world that you don't kind of. You know, like. oh, I know, I mean, and that's you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to segue into the yeah. Maori typography stuff we're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's where useful, you know, where um, printed language is a really big opportunity for us to bring um, Maori ideas around design into everything. You know, we spend so much time uh, watching TV on our screens, reading signs out on the out on the real world, and it, and it all has unwritten language on it, and. So, you know, I'm exploring that, um, working with Chris Salisbury at Klim around how we can develop some Māori typefaces or I'm calling, we're also calling them like kind of bicultural typefaces. If you're using a Latin Roman alphabet, which we are, it's always going to be a bicultural kind of thing. But how do we create letter forms that, that feel Māori and also are distinctly New Zealand? So when people get here, they go, oh, they, they can look at a, even a page printed in English, but there'll be bits in it that they won't see anywhere else in the world. I think we're trying to like tattoo of that and, and use the written language, which is so prominent, again, as a, as a place to kind of bring our culture in. And ca- capturing our kind of special character, like, you, you, you know, you know, a real theme of yours is the biculturalism in there. But, yeah, capturing that special culture, because a, a lot of the other side of culture is, is everywhere else in lots of places. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing unique, you know. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're just like... I don't know when I when I think about growing up in New Zealand, probably similar to you, there were a lot of things that didn't make sense, or a lot of things that just felt like they were missing. And for our kids, this this is our job is to make sure that those things aren't missing for them. Mm. You know, so when they grow up, they don't have those kind of cultural holes inside about feeling connected or grounded or whatever to who they are as as Maori, Pākehā, New Zealanders. And it's our job to kind of do that for our kids so that they grow up just feeling great and they can focus on doing other cool shit that they want to do. Yeah, and part of that is in like, you know, correcting the histories as well, like really interesting, um, you know, in the context of um, the typeface, what you've found around stories that haven't been told around early picking up of the press and, yeah, you know, producing yeah. media. Yeah, because there's, there's so many fascinating stories when you look at, at how Māori engage with the written word Um and, and how we did lettering and printing and so on. And, yeah, the printing press is a really great example, you know, and I think uh, the, the first Māori newspapers and the very first one printed in Māori, by Māori, for Māori, was was to create, I guess, you know, we could see the um, the power of the printed word from the time it arrived. And and when a lot of this propaganda was, was coming out into our communities around um, land sales and so forth, we knew that we needed our own printing paper, our own printing press, and our own newspapers to kind of, I guess, 
combat that. I guess that, oh, what would we say to the gay? Uh, give the alternate narrative <laughs> to that. So um, in 1857, these two chiefs, Māori chiefs, went off, off to Austria uh, to go and see the emperor, to go and visit the imperial printing palace and to see how it was done. And, uh, and the printers there were so impressed. You know, I can't remember the quotes. But these quotes in German, I've translated. They were so impressed with these Māori chiefs that they gave them a printing press, everything they needed to print, um, and sent, sent them back home with it on a boat. And that would have been, you know, that, printing presses in terms of technology, that's like, that would have been thousands and thousands of dollars worth of, you know, equipment that they gifted to them based off the fact that they were just so impressed with how they'd picked it up while they were there just going to have a use. And then they brought it back and... Started the first Māori newspaper, you know. And, and, and instead of us hearing the story of that newspaper, we only have kind of been, what's come down to us has just been the newspapers that have, um, you know, been part of like the Herald, part of all of the propaganda, yes. yeah, whipping yeah. up the, 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 the Waikato Wars. Like, honestly, like, you know, yeah. like a lot of these media that we have, you know, that they, they were part of the problem. Yes, yeah, totally. And it was... But were, ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was interesting, you yeah. know, for me, um, seeing the stuff apology, you know, yeah. and getting invited um, to be the artist to, to create the cover of that because, you know, I with those projects as a, as a Māori artist, a Māori person, particularly when it comes to a media company, you know, for me, it's never... It's never like stuff's going to do this work and that's going to be it and they're going to be good. And because it's such a large organisation, it's hard to control. But for me, the co-papa when I got created that artwork is this is for all those Māori who work at stuff. That's who I do it for is to kind of support them. And yeah, they're still making up. But man, when you look at all the translations they're doing of the stories, when you look at, you know, they've been translating their masthead fate, all these little things, they all add up to me and it's all about progress. You know, it's not going, oh, I did the cover and then you guys did this the story, you know, um, what's what's wrong with you? Job it's done. Job yeah. done. No, no, ex- <laughs> exactly, because I wouldn't work on anything if I was kind of like that. Oh, and just the context around that, that was the stuff apology for, like, you know, like, and, and it is really important, right, to move forward, to actually uh, stop and go, we have been racist in these yes. ways. We have perpetuated yep. these um, na- narratives and we've been part of the problem. Yeah. And like that, that's an important moment like to, 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 to be able to do that. Oh, right? I think very, you know, and, and they went through all their own archives. Their journalists went through, you know, all these papers, um, a lot of them who are under stuff now, but they weren't papers associated with stuff as a brand as we know it now, but they're under its, I guess, ownership. And I just thought that's cool even to own that own all those things, own all those histories um, and put it at the front and saying, you know, this basically this was wrong, we're going to try and do better and I think they are trying doing better. You can see how they've integrated um, different kind of Māori po and kai mahi into their teams and like all these industries and one of the key challenges is just hard getting Māori in these spaces because we're getting drawn into all these other kinds of spaces but it's exciting, you know, like media's played such a... Um, you know, it's very tethered to graphic design in the spaces I'm in around visual culture, and it's played such a um, negative role in the past around how Māori have been portrayed, particularly through comics as well, printed within newspapers. But to see those changes, I think it's just, yeah, it's it's a really positive feeling for me seeing those movements. Yeah, like, yeah, part of it is the acknowledgement of, of wrongs. Part of it's, like, telling the stories that have been not told on purpose, like the like yes. the press. Part of it's the visibility, like you know, there's a lot of statues to cook and not many to coupe. 
Yes. Like, what's up with, you, you know, like, yeah, like there's, yeah. there's, there's just these kind of, and so, so interesting that, you know, lots of areas of your practice touch on, you know, that variety, right? Like, yep. so things that are artistic design and that physical environment. Yeah. Because I think, you know, those, like statues, you know, in public art, it's, again, that's an interesting place with a lot of the public I've done, I've thought about how can we uh, make the Māori stories more visible, you know, to kind of give them the same prominence. Um, I'm not really interested in that kind of wiping over history sort of approach to public art, like, oh, here's this person, we should get rid of them, um, or we should get rid of that statue because they're still an integral part of one side of our culture. Like, but... um. So isn't a bit of context helpful? Like, you know, like if someone if someone was involved in, in war crimes, then maybe yes. like putting a putting a, 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 a thing up to give the full story and not just glorify them is more useful than oh, pulling it away and pretending, exactly. pretending like it never happened. Because there's a lesson in that, right? Yeah. And that's why you – you look at Europe. I think Europe do it well, mm. you know, particularly, I guess, around their walls and what's happened over there and around World War One and World War Two, like the artworks – some of them anyway, they're, they're lessons, you know. And I, I know in America it's even more problematic in those southern states, you know, where they've, they've got these statues of, of some of these these patriots on horses and are engaged in all kinds of things. But again, there's a lesson in there. And, and like, well, how do you, like you said, how do you provide context to that? Is it an artwork that wraps around it or is it something like that? And, and also just how do you talk about, like, the culture's, well, it always changes over time. Well, yeah. it feels like, you know, if part of the problem is that, you know, people have been made to feel like the very spaces they're in are hostile to them, leaving the monuments to the people that are part of that yeah. hostility and saying, hey, this is something that you can like learn from. Just taking them away feels to me like you've kind of got away with it in a funny way. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, no problem here. We got yeah. rid of it. Everything's fine. It's yeah. like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and uh, again, um, you know, this, this, this country we live in now, um, it was founded by our two cultures. You know what, we're going to, decide that we're going to get rid of all these all these hallmarks of one to, to prop up another. I've never liked that idea of trying to um, of making of bigging up someone by cutting the other side down. Now then we can like both be proud of, of our culture. And you know, I I've been um, proud of my Pākehā culture. You know, many Māori have Pākehā Whakapapa. Um, some kind of ignore that and I think that's totally up to them. That's really personal choice. But for me I've never liked that. I've thought some of my park ancestors did some really interesting, cool things. Some of them were great navigators as well. And it's almost like, oh, you're meant to kind of revere these ones more than the others because these ones were better than these other ones or, or so on. And I don't think you, I don't think it really works like that. I don't think you can pick and choose. It's like your family. <laughs> you know, you can't, you yeah. know, you've you got to take it all, the good with the bad, and appreciate them both. Yeah, I've got a feeling most Pākehā are ahistorical because they don't want to face up. <laughs> they don't want to face up to any of well, the truths that are, that are contained in well, it. Well, you know, all the, all the Pākehā I know who aren't comfortable with the identity are the ones who don't um, don't own that, mm -hmm. and the ones who are comfortable with the identity like own that stuff. And then it's like, you know, it doesn't. It's not like you can own it and then go, but but we're good. It's, it's something a bit more complex and nuanced than that. But but they are more. I, I feel grounded. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. And as a final thought, like, you know, there's so much that you've got happening already, but what will success be for you in your work and your practice? <laughs> <laughs> Just the that little questions. <laughs> that's a big question. Um, I think success, you know, it changes um, for you over time. Success for me at the moment look, is, is around being able to step out of my work a little bit more and really just go and work with my iwi and hapu, 
you know, with my tamahaki and hinekure whānau and, and uenuku and, and I know, you know, painfully, I know it will, it will lead me away from the design work and the artistic stuff I like doing more, but will, it will enable me to empower more of my whānau, if you know what I mean. So I think that's, I think that's it. I'm, with specific design projects, you know, there are some that I think um, will have a, a long-lasting effect on New Zealand culture. I hope not just Māori culture. And I think that that would be success, you know, if maybe in 20 years, you know, we're walking around the streets we are right now and going to the buildings and, and it looks like this kind of fantastical mashup of Māori and Pākehā cultures and this kind of place when people arrive and land in Aotearoa, they know that they're in Aotearoa. That'll be cool. Yeah, love it and can't wait to see you make more of it happen. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and being so generous with your time and sharing your story today. That's Dr. Johnson with a hira. Kia ora. Kia ora. So thank you to Johnson, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. E nohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.